Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of The Lanyard. My name is Ben Hanton. Today, we're going to hear from Ted Heron, one of my heroes in South Dakota, because he does something so cool with the Rock Garden Tour. He makes everybody proud to live in the place that they're from. We're going to hear his stories about building that radio show and also about building his ad agency. Well, Ted Heron, thanks for coming in today to The Lanyard. I got a lot of questions I'd like to ask you today about fresh produce, about the Ipso Gallery, about the Rock Garden Tour. So thanks for coming to Yankton. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, so uh, right off right off the get-go, I'd like to know where you grew up and a little bit of backstory on Ted. You familiar with Norway Center? Well, that's kind of in that uh, southern Sioux Falls, northern Beersford area. Yep, it's in between Canton, Beersford, and Alcester. That's where I grew up. Uh, Does anybody beans. really refer to it as Norway Center? Lots, really? lots of people, yeah, Norway Center. Um, you know, it's funny, I grew up, so I grew up near Norway Center, but our we, we went grocery shopping in Canton, our phone number was an Alcester phone number, and then I went to high school in Beersford. And I think SDSU for college. SDSU for college, yeah. Yeah, so tell me about growing up in Norway Center. Um, I'm a farm kid, rode the bus to school. Um, you know, and I think that that's something I keep with me. It's, it's always like, you know, I, I, I don't really, I, my dad didn't necessarily encourage me to become a farmer, you know, but it's something that I think informs everything I do, the way I see the world, uh, the land, gardening, all that stuff is important to me. Um, so I do think it, it impacts a lot of a lot of decisions that I make and sort of my course in life. And knowing your place, uh, where you're from. Yep. So what kind of farming were we talking about? Grains, uh, corn? All of it. When, yeah. So it was, we had a menagerie. Uh, my dad, my dad tinkered in a lot of different things. So first of all, he was a teacher and a coach. My mom was a nurse. Um, but dad, you know, on this, he liked to have side projects. So he, he had corn, and then he had soybeans, and then he had, you know, oats and alfalfa. And, um, but he would try things. You know, he would, uh, for a while, he was trying, trying to have a go at raising llamas. And for, for a while, he tried buffalo. And he thought about, you know, like having a, I think at one point he was talking about, you know, he would always bring it up like a joke, but like deep down he was, you know, he was thinking about it. Like, I think we talked about zebras at one point, <laughs> you know, like, um, so he was, he always wanted to try something new. We had chickens and we had all sorts of goats and sheep and, you know, like it was a really fun place to grow up. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I had, I have four older sisters and when I was a kid, they, you maybe don't know this. Uh, they were literally a singing group, the Heron sisters. Oh, no way. Yeah, and they looked up to uh they loved like Diana Ross. I remember my first concert when I was a kid was Diana Ross. We saw her in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And my sisters were like playing a show in Cedar Rapids and Diana Ross was like, you know, on Saturday night. <laughs> so that was my first concert seeing Diana Ross. But they really loved um Motown singers, but then uh they also grew up listening to the Mandrell sisters and country and western stuff. And so but the girls were performers big time performers and we would you know we i i couldn't be left home alone so i would have to 
you know, when, when they had a show at the Iowa Pork Producers State Meeting, I would have to go to it, and Mom just started writing me into the show where I would, <laughs> where I would introduce the act, and I had this little monologue that I performed. Can you give me an idea what that monologue was? I remember there was a line where I said, uh, I was talking about growing up with four older sisters, and then I said, I, I, you know, but things could be worse. I could have a dad that doesn't like to play ball. And, you know, it was like, so it was kind of like, that, <laughs> right, you know. right. Um, Cheeky. And I remember that I, there was a point in the monologue where I asked the audience if I set up something and then I said, well, do you want to know why? And the audience always responded to me. They always would like, yeah, that always surprised me every t- And I'm, I was like five, you know, five, six, seven years old. It always responded. It always surprised me when the audience responded to me. Was it the was it the power of a microphone? Something about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but but um, that stayed with me. You know, I didn't like doing it. I didn't like going to the shows. I wanted to stay on the farm, but you know, I went along with it and I had to do it. Right. They weren't going to get a babysitter for Ted. Yeah, but I had all these. I had all these great influences when I was a kid because I had all the, you know I had these sisters that were performers and they were into music and. You know, they were interested in, and not just it, they were interested in Motown and country and West, so kind of a wide variety of music. Right. And then I had this football coach dad, but then we also had llamas on the farm, and we also, you know, tried raising buffalo. And, you know, I just had all these weird experiences. Yeah, you know, you could think in Norway Center, it could be a very dry <laughs> sort of living, but it certainly wasn't. No, no. Yeah, that's awesome. So <laughs> so tell me then, you, you find your way to SDSU, and the first time I'll tell you that I encountered you was I was working at South Dakota Magazine, and every, I think it was Wednesday afternoon, we had a slot on Grant Peterson's radio show. Yes. And sometimes Bernie wouldn't have time to, to do the show, so he'd ask me to talk to Grant. And Grant, I don't know, do you, do you have a Grant Peterson impression? I used to do a great afternoon smorgasbord. <laughs> yes, that radio show. And he was always so happy to talk to you. And uh, he was always laughing, but he would tell me that I need to get to know this flower man. Do you know the flower man? And that was you. Yeah. Which I think at that time was a, a kid who was producing and doing some late night radio there. Yep. So tell me about flower man, how you became. Flower Man. So I interned at that radio station, and um, on the side, I was taking care of the flowers. They had just put flower baskets downtown on the light poles, and they hired me to. I had some history. I was a horticulture student. Um, I had some history with you know taking care of flowers, so they hired me to take care of the flowers. But then I was also interning at the radio station. And I had this idea to produce a radio show that combined a couple of my passions, gardening and rock and roll. And I started calling myself the flower man. And that's where that came from. And then, <laughs> and, and you, you know, Grant. So Grant, I think, just kind of got a kick out of what I was doing. Yeah. And um, I loved Grant. Like he's this Norwegian, proud Norwegian guy. Talked who, about Ludafisk all the time. Yeah, and he calls Minneapolis Minneapolis. Like he's just, <laughs> you know, he's Grant. And he had this great show, like very, very um, authentic. And he was such a uh, interesting, like a uh, sincere character and genuinely interested in whoever he's talking yeah. to. Like just, just he had a spark. Um, and that rubbed off on me. I just kind of liked being around Grant. So he would have me come on to his show 
you know, and I, I probably talked to you. Oh, something. I'm sure we did. Yeah. So in the afternoons was his show, and then uh, your your show was late night. Yeah, it was coveted. The 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 uh, Wednesday night. 10 to midnight spot. <laughs> Did you get some Arbitron ratings on that? Um, they weren't, no. I mean, we had some high school kids that listened. Yeah. And I know that because they would like show up. Right. You know, and we'd give out prizes and people would show up. At the station. Yeah, at the station. And I had some, uh, there was a stretch where I had like a dance, uh, some kids that were in theater at SDSU would stop by and I would play a certain song and they would like come into the studio and do a dance. Oh, that's awesome. So I knew that they were listening. Yeah. You know, so we had a handful of people. Um, it's funny because the, the, the guy who let me do the radio show is now my business partner, Mike Hart. And he was the program director there. Oh, yes. And I gave, I had this idea for the rock. It, it was called Two Hours of Flower, or I wanted to call it. This is a, a speculative Flower show. Hour. I wanted to call it Two Hours of Flower. And I gave, I created a mixtape for him that was like two hours of the show that I would like to produce on on this radio station. And uh, I remember I went to a lot of trouble. Those were the days of mixtapes and, you know, mix CDs. And I went to a lot of trouble making this mixtape and gave it to him. And I just kept checking in with him, you know, as I'm interning there, checking in with him. Hey, did you hear that show, that I, that concept? Are you into it? Can I try it? Can we do it? And I think I broke him down. And eventually he just let me. I don't think he ever listened to the mixtape, but I think I just broke him down and he at, – at, you know, at some point, he just decided to let me have a go, but he gave me the yeah the Wednesday night ten to midnight spot. That's cool. And so, how long did you do that on Brookings Radio? It was a couple years. Yeah, a lot of episodes. I would hit it every week too. I didn't want to miss a chance to do it. And was that available? I mean, are those episodes still available somehow? Do you have recordings? I have tapes. You do. I have yeah. tapes. I always recorded them. And then, um, you know, we have KRGT now, so we have an, a streaming radio station. Um. But I'll put a lot of clips from the old shows on the radio station. So how does it work when you combine your passions of, of gardening and rock and roll? Like, what, would, what did those early shows sound like? What, what was an example? In the, when I was first producing the show, I was very aware, aware of, you know, gardening and rock and roll. You got to combine them. You got you to gotta show people what the idea is about. I was really into my idea. It was yeah. all about my idea. And so I felt like, you know, for the listener to get it, I got to really, we got to have segments on the show where we're playing music by Soundgarden or we're, you know, we're, you know, we're playing psychedelic music from the sixties and it has to have lyrics that are about flowers, Yes, you know? So I'm playing all those types of songs and we had the green groove every Wednesday night where we had play the song and in the lyric, there'd be some, some reference to a flower, um, you know, so in the in the early shows, you could really see, like, I was really trying to make the concept work. Yeah, it was very on the nose. Yep, and um, as I've grown up with the idea, it's really changed in a great way. Another thing about how I used to produce radio is I, it would be very, very scripted, and I would I'm a write I am a writer, and so I would write it all out, and I wanted. You know, I had friends that did it with me. I was a flower man, and then I would have somebody else kind of running the board and whatever. Um, but I really wanted us to stay on script, and I had sort of the, an idea of how it was supposed to sound. And I was even cueing people, and it was like you know, it was like live radio yeah. theater. Um, it was live, which was amazing. You know, doing doing uh, live radio. There's nothing like it, I think, in in the world of performing. Like for me, anyway, I just really enjoyed that. Um. The, just the medium it was it was just really exciting to to 
do live radio. Um, but the way I was doing it, it was, you know, like I would, I was just really trying to <laughs> compose a show and I was thinking about every, you know, every break, like it was a little, a little play. Too perfectionist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I imagine the amount of hours that went into that were substantial. If you're writing yeah. out an entire show and now we're going to cue to, uh, oil can or or he he wasn't there at that. No, he point. wasn't there, yeah. but but it's, it's similar. Yeah, and and we would cut together intro segments, and there was like a lot of pre-produced stuff that we were doing throughout okay. the week. Yeah, and so it wasn't all live. We would we would play bits. We did a lot of bits, and then there was always like little weird challenges that I would have. You know, I had some pockets or like a crew of high school kids that would often do something stupid for us. Like I remember one year we, <laughs> I don't know what was happening, but. Um, we were, they were live on the air and they were standing around, they were singing No Christmas Bush and they were standing around some bush on 6th Street, like a little, like a bush. I don't know what, that's one thing that I remember they ended up doing and I don't know why they did it, but that was something that stands out. But it was that kind of stuff that we were, we were doing a lot. So there wasn't, it wasn't all, I guess, um, you know, pre-produced, but a lot of it was. So you started to find some success in that. You had an audience. You had people responding. They were buying into this this new concept you brought out of gardening and rock. So I imagine as a young college student, you were probably thinking, this is what I want to do. Yeah. So did you have an idea that I'm going to move out of this area and I'm going to take this idea big? No, not, no, it didn't. it didn't occur to me that I would keep doing it. I'll tell you, though, it was important to me, and it was important to me not just because I thought my idea was so clever. At some point, I outgrew thinking that way. Like, the idea became less important, but what was important to me was the the stuff we were talking about, and it was, like, our way of loving this place. Where you're from. Yeah, yeah. and, and um, it was my way to celebrate the things I care about. There's this great line, um, it all turns on effect- affection, Wendell Berry said it all I think I think he took that from somebody else but in in one of his books he had the line it all turns on affection and it's easier to care for something that you love yes and you know these the show what's great about the show and why I think I kept doing it is that it combined all these things that I loved and when I was younger I maybe didn't quite get why I thought it was so great I was cuz I like I said I was so into my idea um but I think as I kind of matured you know, I realized that what makes it special is that we're celebrating what we love. Well, and I think so. I've I've worked on kind of a similar project, not at all as creative as what you're talking about. But I have this branding campaign down here in Yankton that I call I Love Yankton. And essentially, it's just taking photos and videos and hashtagging or branding it saying I love the place I live in. And the reason I did that was because when I was up in Fargo, uh, visiting some friends and going to entrepreneurship conferences, everybody up there had this love for their town and they expressed it. And it seemed kind of weird. You know, you don't always say you love somebody to their face because it feels weird. And mm-hmm. that's kind of our Midwest, uh, humbleness or whatever. And, and so if you, if you, typed in a search for I love Fargo, you found like thousands and thousands and thousands of hits. And if you typed in I love Yankton, you found like two. And so I was like, we need to change that. We need to show it's okay to love where you live. And I th- I think now if you do the searches, you're going to find, you know, thousands of matches and you're going right. to find a lot of stuff. But you're kind of doing this exact same thing in a different way, which is to say, nope, I'm choosing to live here. I love where I'm from. And uh, it's okay for you to love where you're from too. And I think that's why I've never really been able to 
put it away and I've just kept doing the show is because it's 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 so authentic to us now. You yeah, know, like, and you're still here. Yeah, and I and we're happier when we're doing it. It's yeah. more fun when we're doing it, so we just keep doing it. Well, we're going to talk a lot more about the Rock Garden tour, but I want to figure out what you did after college and uh, how you ended up starting a ad agency. Um, when I was in school. You know, like most kids, you know, I don't know how you were when you were in college. Did you have it figured out? Did you know where you wanted to go? And no, so do? I started off with a sociology major. I had graduated high school a semester early, and then I switched to uh, an English major, and then I quit college after my first year. I had the top region scholarship at Augustana, and I quit, and I was going to go start a free newspaper in Fort Collins, Colorado, which is what I did. Uh, so definitely didn't. I don't have a degree. Um, I have about half of my college time. What was, the, what was the newspaper called? It was called Rooster Magazine. Okay. I had worked yeah. uh, at Tempest Magazine in Sioux Falls and was, I don't know, kind of found my way into uh, advertising and, and managing editor role there. And I was so in love with that idea of, of probably the same thing you felt um, on microphone is what I was feeling through through words. And uh, I had to have it. And so I moved out to Fort Collins, felt like that was a town similarly sized to Sioux Falls with a ton of events. And, um, you know, 19 and my parents are like, okay, I'm sure when this fails, you'll be back in college. Well, it did fail and I didn't go back to college. Because it's, I, when I, when I was in school, I didn't know, I didn't know. And even after school, I didn't really know what I was doing or where I was going, but I knew what I liked. Yeah. And I remember having a conversation with a professor, and I don't know why we were having the conversation, um, but she was asking me, you know, where do you want to end up? What do you want to do? And it wasn't even a, she wasn't even in my major. I remember it was like a advanced comp professor or something. But I I liked her and I appreciated her, you know, her feedback on things. But she was asking me one day. She was pressing me like, what you know, where am I heading? And I remember I kind of rambled. I didn't really know. And I remember she, something she said stayed with me. She said, I think you're just going to have to make it up. And <laughs> I don't know what she meant by that. I don't know if she was like, well, you're going to have to make something up. Yeah. You're going to have to figure something out. She might have been saying that or she might have been saying, you know, you're just going to have to make something up, um, which I, you know, that's what I took with me. Like, oh, I might just have to make it up. That was the first time in my life that I thought that I could, you know, like I thought, well, I could just make something up. Like that was exciting to me. I remember yeah. walking home from that meeting, walking back to the dorms or wherever I was heading. And I remember thinking, you know, it was a little brighter out. Like there was something different about that way of thinking. I've never considered myself an entrepreneur necessarily, even though, you know, I think that, you know, I've always been somebody that starts things and likes to stay with things and create something new. But I never saw myself as like a business owner or somebody who would do that. But I didn't really see myself in any way. Like I just didn't know where I was heading. Uh, but I remember that kind of changed that that sort of changed a little bit of my perspective a little bit. You know, I think that I started to consider, well, you know, I could do that, I guess. And um, But then after I started that radio show and started to get the feel for like just making it up and, and you know, like you could do that. It's you could OK. Just make it up. And, yeah. and um after radio, after I was a copywriter for, I was doing ad writing. I was writing radio ads for Weight Broadcasting. That was my first job. So after that internship, I was hired by Weight, and they own like eighty radio stations. And they decided to create this job. Um, they were going to try something out on me. They created this job where I was going to be the writer for their eighty radio stations. And then if you're selling radio in Fremont, Nebraska, 
and you're trying to, you know, there's a furniture store down there that you want to get on the radio and you want to present them a spec ad. They would, they they called me flower man. They would send me a fax, (laughs) a flower man. And they would tell me the objective of the ad and yeah. they would give me kind of the store hours and here's the stuff I would like to be in the ad and here's their tagline. And then I would write a little campaign. But not necessarily voice it? No, no not voice it. I would just write the copy. And um, in Brookings, they would have me voice it and they would have me cut it together. Yeah. But, it, you know, like I, I remember I was doing a lot of stuff for like Fort Dodge or, you know, like all these – I got to know these people like through the fax machine. Nobody was emailing me or talking to me. I had this weird little job. And that's how I got into advertising. It was the first time I ever thought about being yeah. in advertising. I and I found that I liked it. I liked like writing radio, you know. And um that's how it started. And and I got I just kind of enjoyed it. I liked the creative process and I liked, you know, making things up. Did you get a did you get any pushback for being too creative? Yeah, and I wasn't very good. I, 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 you know, you look back on a lot of the work you're doing or the way you were thinking about things, and it's kind of embarrassing. Oh, you know? absolutely. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You know? <laughs> I don't uh, look back at my old newspapers. So I had yeah. a lot to learn, um, but what was great is that I was free to learn it. Nobody was – they just kind of turned me loose, and they let me write dumb stuff, and some of it was great. Well, you could some iterate of it was a bad. lot. Yeah, and so I loved that time, um, and, and I think at that – you know. I started to see that there wasn't going to be much of a future. You know, I could maybe keep doing that kind of stuff. But um, if I wanted to have a career, like I didn't yeah. think I was in the type of – that wasn't going to be a job for me where it was going to be a career. You I might think make it was an experiment. $12 an hour for the rest of your life. Yeah, it was definitely an yeah. experiment. So um, I started to think, well, maybe maybe I could get into advertising. Maybe I could, could be a copywriter. I never thought about that, but um, – so then I, I remember I, t- I talked to Roxanne Lucchese, uh, who was the marketing uh, a marketing professor that I had one class with at SDSU, and I said, "Hey, do I need to go back to school to get into advertising? Like, what do I need to do?" I didn't have a clue, and she, she helped me create a portfolio, my first writing portfolio, and then I took it down to Sioux Falls. I remember I I got an interview with um, Greg Brokelman, who owned an ad agency down there, Ten Kate, and. Um, he went to my high school. He played quarterback for my dad, you know, and so I got that's an interview. That's your in. Yeah, and then he uh, he hired me. And that's where it started. And then when did you decide that you wanted to break away and do your own thing? It was just under two years. I was there for like almost two years. And then, um, you know, I knew Mike Hart, who, yeah. uh, like I said, he was my program. Was he still the program director up in No, Brookings? he was doing something else at the time. He had moved down to Sioux Falls, but... um. You know, we had a good relationship. We loved radio. And after almost a couple years writing and advertising and feeling like I kind of knew I was learning, you know, I kind of got it a little more than I had before. Um, We decided that maybe we would try to create a business called Fresh Produce where our focus would be on production. And so we were going to go back into radio and be a production house and a creative house for small market radio stations. And that's where Fresh Produce started. Okay. Fresh Production. That's how the name was chosen. Yep. And produce kind of ties in with Flower Man. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. It was all coming together. (laughs) The branding was on. Yeah. (laughs) So I imagine him coming from the – he probably fulfills a different role than you do. He was – as a program director, he was probably more organizational. Mm -hmm. You were probably more creative. Um, Is that how it still plays out today? Yeah. One thing, though – and this is this is true of fresh produce. 
I think everybody participates in creative process there. And I don't know I, – I haven't worked at that many places, so I don't know how it is at other places. But at Fresh Produce, everybody you know, plays a role. And Mike is a super creative guy. Like it, it, he's really fun yeah. and he's very witty and it's easy to start talking with him and we start coming up with ideas. So in, in like we both shared kind of that creative practice in, in like when we were getting started. Um, I would write though. And then I would, we would come up with the ideas kind of together a lot. I would write them. He would produce them often. I, I wasn't always cutting them together. Yeah. He, he would do a lot of the production. You know, talking about uh, creative and and uh, and hilarious. So um, I was doing a podcast the other day with Alana Snyder, and we were talking about uh, Brian Bieber, who works with you these days. And uh, what a what a genius he is on comedy writing. And uh, it just seems like you've you've assembled some talent that's that's pretty impressive. Oh yeah, there's a lot of great people there. Um, it's fun to go to work, and it's fun to, you know, like and and I think it's um. We we all have a connection in that we're, you know, it's the creative process. It's a creative practice, and everybody that works at Fresh Produce is in on it. Like, and that that gets people's, you know, the juice going. I mean, like ad agencies, though marketing agencies in Sioux Falls, it seems like there are a lot, and there probably weren't when you started. So you must have known. Besides, I know you started with the idea that we're going to be the production house for some small radio stations, but as you evolved into become more of a general ad agency marketing firm um how did you say we're going to differ we're going to be different than the rest of the guys because there's a lot yeah yeah and we we it was never strategic um i can look back on it now and say boy there was an opportunity for people like us at that time yeah you know when we came along and i would say that that was just lucky it was good timing for us uh there was some really great companies in the market but they had established their own voice and their point of view and had had been come to known to do a certain type of work. And when we came along, we had this, you know, we we were different because I think we are different. You know, I think Mike and I we were different. And we we and and we built the we built the company in that was the inspiration. Like we just kind of tried to you know, it's all based on our authentic, you know, like interests and passion and who we are and maybe the direction we're going. And the company, I think, has reflected that. And then as we've met new people, I mean, I think everybody kind of that's why the company has evolved is because we evolve, you know, and, and you know, we try to straight stay true to that. And how long how long have you been doing the business? How long? Has, 15 years. 15. This is our 15th. It's that's, crazy. That's yeah. big. Yeah. For a guy who didn't know where he was going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, you didn't have to go back to school and you got it done. So tell me a little bit about some of the creative things that you do there to keep it interesting. So I know of a couple. Um, you have, do something called Kiosk Thursday. Let's start with that. Um, so we're, we screw around a lot. And I think that, that what people – I don't know what people see us like. And I don't know how – You know, I don't really care. Uh, but I, I think sometimes you look at a place and if – if it looks like they're screwing around, you maybe don't think they're doing work. Yeah, for sure. But what's happening at that place, I will guarantee that they're working really hard. And I think what what people maybe sometimes don't get is that, you know, we we are screwing around and having fun, but that's also when we're doing our best work and we're doing the most work. You know, it's like because that's just how it is. Yeah. Um. And Kiosk Thursday was a goofy thing we started because I think we thought it would be funny to have, um. 
a day for kiosks. You know, you had you had Small Business Saturday, you know, after Thanksgiving. Or you had Black Friday, <laughs> right. and then you had Small Business Saturday, and then you had Cyber had Monday, Cyber Monday, and then Giving Tuesday. And at some point, we started thinking, well, what what about the kiosks? <laughs> you know, Brian and I were talking once, and he had a job one time at Candleman at the Empire Mall, and it was a kiosk. And we did a whole podcast about it, the fact that, you know, kiosk, it doesn't really – it's not really a store. Right. Uh, it's it's di- like there's different rules apply at a kiosk. You can change prices. You can wheel and deal. You know, you, like they can sell – Strange, you know, you buy strange things at kiosks. Um, so we started, we start just, and I've always had kind of this weird. I kind of love the idea of like vending machines and kiosks, and I've always been into that stuff just, just because I think you it's don't have fun. to have set hours at a <laughs> yeah. kiosk either, right? Yeah, you can just close up. And I mean, say, it, gotta... it's a little bit like having a job where you're getting taking orders from a fax machine. Like you're occupying <laughs> this weird little universe, and I've always kind of been about that, you know? Like, yeah. Um, so kiosks, fascinating. You know, I love talking about kiosks. We, so we just started talking, well, what if we had a whole day? You know, what if it was just kiosk Thursday and we, ha- and we, you know, we created this, we made up this thing, but then we thought, well, it'd be more fun if we just acted like it was a real thing <laughs> and like it was somebody else's idea. So for a while we were just saying that, oh, this is something they were doing in big cities. Like in South Dakota, people are always like, you know, we've got to know what the big cities are doing. Right. So we, we this talk- is a trend. And we <laughs> yeah. just happen to be bringing it yeah. to Sioux Falls. So we thought it would be safer if we told everybody, oh, this is something that's happening in the big city. Right. But we just made up this thing, Kiosk Thursday, and we started having events in our space on Kiosk Thursday, so the Thursday after Thanksgiving, and inviting local vendors and people to sell their stuff, you know, local artists to sell their stuff at Kiosk Thursday. And we started promoting it and um, but it all, yeah, it was all kind of start. It was born out of that goofy and you conversation. Created, you created your own products for Kiosk yeah, Thursday. Yeah, and too, that's where right? it gets really fun. So now we have, it's on our website, Kiosk Thursday. You can buy tchotchkes. Yeah, silly things that we like to make. Like what? Um, there's a magnet that says Flim Flam, uh, which I love. There's another magnet that says Sort of, sort of Revolutionary. <laughs> you talked about kind of the Midwestern, like, you know, thought process. Yeah, we- you know. You could you could be do, doing something re- very revolutionary, but in the Midwest, you'd say, yeah, we're sort of revolutionary. Yeah, you could talk about how a New Yorker would say it and how a South Dakotan would say it. Um, definitely want to qualify that. Yeah. And then there's like, you know, lots of stuff we do through Ipso Gallery, like little pins that have mouths on them and just a bunch of weird stuff that we make. And, um, you know, a lot of times we're working on projects constantly and creative process, it's a practice, and you're always sketching and coming up with ideas or writing things down or thinking, oh, that might work. And then a lot of these ideas, you know, they don't have, they don't ever find a home. Right. So sometimes those ideas become magnets or silly things that we want to sell through Kiosk Thursday. And it allows your staff to, to get out some creativity. Right? Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, yep. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a little break, come back and talk with Ted Heron about. Uh, where the Rock Garden Tour is at now, we're going to learn about the Ipso Gallery. We'll be back. The presenting sponsor of The Lanyard is Ben's Brewing Company. We are a brewery, tap room, and speakeasy located in Yankton, South Dakota. Our beers are on tap in several South Dakota cities. Visit us online at bensbrewing.com. Good people drink Ben's beer. 
The presenting sponsor of The Lanyard is Ben's Brewing Company. We are a brewery, taproom, and speakeasy located in Yankton, South Dakota. Our beers are on tap in several South Dakota cities. Visit us online at bensbrewing.com. Good people drink Ben's beer. We're back with Ted Heron, and we're going to talk more about fresh produce, Rock Garden Tour, and now I want to hear about the Ipso Gallery, another one of those creative projects you were doing to keep fresh produce produce interesting. Um, Ipso, this is the 10th year of Ipso Gallery, which um, is awesome. You know, I'm, I, it's, it's been such an important part of what we do now, and I don't think we ever anticipated that it would become that, but it makes sense that it would. Um, I remember when we uh, were first establishing ourselves as fresh produce, and you know, we talked about that kind of creative perspective and personality. Um, well, a lot of it has to do with creative process. And a lot of creativity, you know, the practice of creativity, a lot of that is born from uh, looking at stuff that maybe you don't understand or reading something or watching something that you're learning about or seeing for the first time or, you know, putting yourself in front of art that challenges you. Yeah. Um, so that was a really important part of our process, having conversations with people that maybe see the world differently than you do. Um exposing yourself to those things. And so when we were talking about moving into fresh uh, moving into Sioux Falls and what do we want what do we want the space to be like and what do we want to have in there and it's got to complement the creative process because that's who we are. And so we talked about well we got to have an art gallery in there, you know. And I remember um at that time I was I was married um to Liz who was an artist, a painter and you know, so so that was something that she wanted to try too. And so we kind of did it together. I mean, Ipso was kind of like this, this family project. And when I say family, I mean, all the people at Fresh Produce, Mike and me and Liz and Mary, her mom. And, you know, we all decided, well, that would be fun to have at Fresh Produce. We should try it. And, um, you know, we, we, uh, we just started having shows, but the, the reason that we did it though, is because a, we wanted to, we wanted to look at art that we didn't make, you know, to learn from it. And to uh, be inspired by it, we wanted to meet artists and hear uh, very consistently new perspectives on how to make art and where ideas come from. And we wanted that conversation to be alive and we wanted to hear from a lot of different types of artists. But also we wanted to have fun together yeah, and come up with ideas and have a place to make them come alive, you know. And so you're just immersed in that space. It's it's adjacent to where you guys work yeah. every day. So you you are hit with these inspirational ideas all the time. Yeah. And now can the public come in and view the gallery at any any time? Any time. Yeah. Yep. But then you have these events occasionally, like an art opening, where you can hear from the artists and things yep. like that. Wow, ten years of that, and and a space that maybe doesn't pay for itself directly, right. but it's important to yeah. It's been an building. investment for sure. And there were years when we did get some pushback from people, like you know, do we want to be investing this much money in this space to be promoting these shows? Yeah. And you know, it doesn't hit the bottom line necessarily. But Mike and I have never looked at it that way. Yeah, like we never, we don't. That's just not how we see things. How about what have you found for challenges in in finding talent, finding the next flower man, people to come work for you? Um, part of that is have, investing in things like Ipso Gallery. Part of it is is investing in you know what it takes to have a creative practice. And I think when artists and and um, people in other markets 
um, see that, see a company doing that. It doesn't matter where you're at. That's special, you know, and I think uh, certain people really are inspired by that and want to be around that. It's like you have a flag up there saying, hey, if you're into these type of things, at least you can identify and say, that's my tribe over there. Yep. I want to go learn more. And it's not for everybody, um, but I think that the people that really, there's people that really want would seek it out and want to be a part of it. Yeah. Are there any campaigns that you guys have worked on that, that people might instantly recognize? I'm always, yeah, well, let me think. It's always the next campaign that I think is going to be the best yeah. one we've ever done. <laughs> and if you ask me, like, well, it's usually the last thing that we did that I think is the best thing that we've ever done. Uh, we've, you know, I'm pretty proud of the work we do with Poet because... Um, and and tell people what Poet is. Poet Biofuels producer. And they have plants all over the Midwest. Um, you know, and their they're, Poet tries new things. They have, like, people that are, they're really... Um, you know, really bright engineers, um, chemists, people, you know, uh, one of their guys, Steve Lewis, I remember talks about um, art and science and how art is a big part of like his creative process. And, you know, his ideas are like, uh, yeah, stuff yeah. that would just blow your mind, right. you know, and I love, and so there's a lot about poet that we love. You want to lean in there? Yeah. And, po but poet is also about, you know, rural you know, rural opportunities and, you know, like, um, so I'm proud of the work that we do with Poet just because they're a bigger company and for a small company like ours to be able to do really good work for a yeah. company like that, it's, it's, it's not hard to do good work for a big company, but when you're a small company who needs to like get started and pay the bills, like doing really good work and presenting big ideas to a big company is scary. You bet. And so when we do great work for Poet, and I'm really proud of it because it's it's challenging to get yourself pumped up to like to fight some of the battles you just end up having to when you're working with a client like that. Right. And they're not hard to work with. It's just the nature of how well, and they, relationships work. And you're very aware that they can easily move their business anytime. So that that's always hanging over your head. So you want to bring your best game all the time. Yeah. So we've done a lot of work with them. We do we do some great work for a company called Index Fresh. Uh, this California-based avocado distributor. Just so happens that they've got fresh in their name too. Yeah, and we got, it was a mistake. They they called us because they were looking. They wanted a firm that specialized in fresh produce. <laughs> <laughs> so they asked us if we did. So Google came to your <laughs> yeah. aid there, and we're like, well, no, we don't specialize in it, but we, you know, we. We'd present you some ideas. We believe in it so much, we put our name on it. <laughs> so they invited us out to California to present to them, and I always brag about oh, this. We were competing against L.A. ad firms, and we won the business because awesome. we were like, we understood farming. The name paid off. And Yeah, but we've, we, I've, I've enjoyed the work we've done for them. That's yeah. been fun stuff, but, um, you know— I remember your voice. You you voice some uh, some stuff too because I remember when uh, oh the forty two the the portable solar generator. Yeah. The, I think there was a Kickstarter campaign on that, and I, I was like, I recognize that voice. Yeah. That's from the Rock Garden tour. You know, one of my favorite campaigns we do is for a, a moving company um, in Brookings, Perkins Storage and Transfer, and Mike and I presented ideas to them. Um, it was over. It was like thirteen. You know, we're fifteen. I think it was like 15 years ago that we presented ideas to Perkins and what they liked what we presented and we started producing radio for them. And every month, every other month, we produce a new 60-second spot All, you know, throughout the entire lifespan of fresh produce for 15 years. We've written 
a 60-second spot for Perkins Storage and Transfer. Wow. A new one every other month. Just mark it on the calendar. Mike voices it. We use the same music track, and it's always kind of the same tone, the right. same the same structure. But he's this character who um, <laughs> talks very, you know, like he tells very elaborate stories about moving. And um, it's it, that's like one of my favorite campaigns because it's <laughs> so, so consistent. Yeah. And what happens? I just want to tune in for the next episode. We have never met with them since then. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's just the best thing. <laughs> and we, you know, we love that campaign. Maybe they're faxing you. Yeah. Yeah. That could be the problem. Right. <laughs> Maybe they fired us five years ago. We don't know. Well, I'd like to get back into talking about the evolution of your radio show and, and how you've kept that alive. And so uh, when you talked about being Flower Man in college and having the uh, the Wednesday night show, Rock Garden Tour became something different over the years, and you added new players. Yep. So tell me about how Rock Garden Tour evolved and what it has become today. Um, you know, I've done the show in a lot of different ways on a lot of different stations, and like I said before, like it, it's become kind of this authentic part of us. And so it's hard not to keep doing it for mm-hmm. me. Um, after I moved to Sioux Falls and started working in advertising, I found that that was something I wanted to get going again because I enjoyed it so much when I was in Brookings, but I didn't have anywhere to do it. Um, at that time is, is also kind of around the same time that I met Tom Hurlbert, oil can. Yeah. Aberdeen architect. Yeah. And I met him the same night I met my wife. Yeah, so it was all coming together for me. That was, <laughs> yeah, that was a big, it's a night. big night. But I remember Oil Can. You know, he's this kind of showy uh, guy, creative, um, fun, likes South Dakota, like, loves South Dakota. You know, he's similar to me in a lot of ways. And uh, he liked the idea that I did this radio show, and I could tell right away he was kind. Of, he'd be kind of into the idea of doing radio. He had never tried it before. He had done some like community theater, but he was a showy guy. Like he liked to perform. Yeah. You know, first time I hung out with Tommy, uh, we were at a karaoke. It was uh, the Brick House in Sioux Falls. That's what it was called at the time. And it was carry. It was like Friday night karaoke, and we're chatting on the back in the back of the bar, and um, you know, I'm in mid conversation, and I hear the karaoke DJ say, "T Bone and the Spare Ribs." T-bone and the spirit <laughs> and oil can pulls out a pair of sunglasses and he's like, just a moment. And he puts those on and he got up and he's saying, George Jones, I think, you know, it's been a good year for the roses and <laughs> nobody liked it, but it was hilarious. I liked it. Yeah. I was sold, but you know, he, he was showy. He, he was committed to it. Yeah. He was committed. And I, and so he kind of, I remember, I can't remember when we decided that, oh, he'd be fun to try the radio show with. I had never intended on not keeping it gardening and rock and roll. And at that point, I had a new name for the show. I was going to call it Rock Garden Tour. But I was just looking for a place to do it. And then um, we started doing some business with Feller Broadcasting. And I remember Mike and I, Mike knew that I wanted to do the show bad. So we created some sort of a discount if they let me <laughs> do the show. And this is Ted's project. Yeah, and this is great because it was at a time when they wanted to sell the radio station anyway, and I think there were some deals in the works. Oh. And so I don't think they cared as much about what was happening like on Sunday night from eight to ten. Yeah. And so Rob Feller just told me, Yeah, you can you can do a show. And I remember thinking, really? Like, are you sure? 
<laughs> we can do rock garden tour. And uh, I don't think he knew much about what we had in mind, but he just let us do it. So in the Sioux Falls market, Sunday nights from 8 to 10. Make sure to say the call letters. Yeah, on Feller Broadcasting. They barely trained us on how to use the board. Oil Can had never used a board before. And he's running the board. Well, it's hard to believe with that amazing sound effect package he brings. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, we're in Sioux Falls. That's a good radio market. Yeah, right. And um, I remember just not really feeling comfortable with the you fact the that they were just the letting place. us do it. Yeah. But, but they did. And I'll tell you, you know, this this was where Rock Garden Tour was born because we did – we just decided. In my head, I was like, I'm going to do a show every week until they kick us off or every week until we can't because I knew how special it was yeah. that we just get to do it. So we did 60 weeks in a row. Wow. And that's every Sunday. And that was like over the holidays. Like we never missed a Sunday. They were And they were live. Yeah. Wow. And that was, I think that year it was like Christmas Day was on a Sunday. We did the show on <laughs> Christmas Day. We did the show on New Year's Day. I remember, you know, I'm a Bears fan. And that year I think the Bears were in the playoffs. Um, you could have recorded them. Yeah, but, I, but we were just like, let's do it live. And had we not had those 60 episodes, the show wouldn't have gotten good. Sure. And you needed the practice. And, and you need it consistent, and yeah. you need to just keep doing it. Um, and it was like, I think about in the 40s, like during that run, I think once we hit about the 40s, we, Oil Can and I really had something going. I mean, we oh, could just kind of cool. tell. And then um, that was about how long it took the radio station to get sold. And then they moved across town. And then they locked us out. <laughs> <laughs> it was over? Yeah. Did you just show up one Sunday? It, it, yeah, I showed up. I just decided, well, we're going to keep going. And then uh, I remember one day the door was locked. <laughs> it's like, well, I guess the show's done. It was something like that. No, but nobody really told us that we were done. I have a friend that works in Sioux Falls Radio right now, and he said, you know, myself and my co-hosts have been working in this for 30 years, but they won't let us in the building to, to cut yeah. trailers or anything unless it's during business hours yeah. because they won't trust us with a key code yeah so, <laughs> so w- once we stopped b- being allowed into the station is when we stopped doing the show in that you know on that station but then since then we've just figured out new places to put the show you on. were on public broadcasting for a while yep we did public broadcasting Which and we still seems, do yep seems like a natural fit because i mean if if you were to describe the show i think some people would think prairie home companion for yep. south dakota wouldn't you mm-hmm um, so, I mean, public radio seemed to fit right in with that. We did Augie Radio until they were sold, oh, and we K-A-U-R. did KCFS. Yep, and I got then, kicked off of KAUR. Yeah, so you know what it's yeah, like. Yeah, absolutely. I, so what happened there, if, you, if you're interested, so do you remember Django the Jazz Man? Yeah. So Django got fired from KAUR, and he'd been, you know, if, if you don't know Sioux Falls Radio, Django was like, welcome back, it's another jazz day with Django... The jazz man, and then he would say, when he would when he would uh, when he would tell you what tracks he had just played. Yeah. Oh yeah, he would he go would call through the com- compact disc, <laughs> and he would go for you know what I played over the last hour. So if you just tuned in, yeah. he's going to tell you what you yeah. missed fifty five minutes. That one ago. was off of the copper room compact disc. And like <laughs> I just remember. Well, so they fired him, and I was helping out over the summer. I had a I had a show or whatever a duty and um and i decided to turn it into basically a telethon to like call in and tell kaur to save django and they didn't like that they didn't oh. no so I, I was done there but uh so you went to kaur they sold and other stations along yeah. the way and so where does rock garden tour live today yeah um you know well 
throughout the whole time we're doing the show, we're just keeping it alive and we're meeting people that are into it. And, you know, at some point we met Joe Telestas, who was with South Dakota Public Broadcasting, and he loved the show and he wanted to, you know, put it on public broadcasting. And, you know, we were just finding people that liked it and then they would figure out how to keep it going, yeah. you know, and then they were part of the club. And so we were all doing it together. And um, I remember it was Joe, I think, who said, you know, we should try to do this live. We should try to do it in front of people. And that was a whole different thing because what Oil Can and I loved was was live radio in a studio where you get to create the audience. And that's what's really exciting. I love kind of creating creating the environment. And, you know, the listener, it's very personal, but the listener gets to create it all in their imagination. Yeah, you bet. And so that's that's what is fun about uh, producing live radio in a studio. Um, when Joe suggested maybe we try it to do it in front of people, like that was kind of scary for us because we're like, well, that will really change the show. Um, but we wanted to try it because we thought it would be fun. Got to pause for laugh, yeah. pause for laughter, and... and so then at that point we had already been writing our own songs to just put on the radio. So I I, I was already writing songs with Jim Growth, my father in law. Um, so then we just decided, well, what if we formalize the band? I think we had we were already calling them the Rock Garden Tour Family Band. It was our fictitious house band. You know, Leroy played the the stand up bass, and they're like all these characters. Well, we just decided, well, we got to have a band, a real band. And so I guess it's just the Rock Garden Tour Family Band. And so my cousin, you know, cousin Rattlesnake, Christopher von Rockcheck, who's my first cousin, he played piano in that first show that was at the Charlie Utter Theater at Saloon Ten in Deadwood. So just a small room. But um, Jim Growth played guitar, and then we had a variety of songs that we had already written, and then we just decided to play the show in front of people. And, you know, we were – it's hard not to play for laughs when you're in front of people. So we were kind of falling into that, and then we realized that that was getting away from what made the show special. And so we've kind of figured out how to do it in front of people, but that was the first time that we did it. I think that was like in 2007. Yeah. We did one down here in the space we're recording at now. Um, this is the copper room above Ben's Brewing Company in Yankton, and we did uh, – we did a rock garden tour episode it was here. Great, that was a fun yeah. night. It's a small room, you know. I think we, I think we were able to fit about thirty-five, forty people in it was here. Great. I remember there was a cowboy in the back of the room, and he thought our oh, uh, I, parody of Big Rock Candy Mountain was better than the original. Yeah, that was Jim Lane. Jim Lane with the cowboy hat. <laughs> he loved that. He's been to a couple of our shows since. <laughs> but you know that. So that was the first time, and that took the show into a whole different space when yeah. we started to put it in front of people. It reached a whole bunch more people, you know, because radio. Um, it reaches a certain audience, yeah. but um, and then uh, public broadcasting talked about you know Brad Van Osdell down at public broadcasting talked about maybe trying to put it on TV, and um, we tried that, and so we've done four TV specials now. We've done a whole bunch of different um, live performances everywhere from the Copper Room right here to Mount Rushmore we played. I did one. Uh, I, I attended one at Latitude 44 in Sioux Falls where it was a squash mosh. It was like a squash tasting. Oh, that was fun. Yeah, so I, I can't remember how many different squashes you brought in, maybe eight to ten. Yeah. And we all had to rank them. Yeah, do you remember that night? Like, do you remember? Are you a squash eater? I, I became one that night. Awesome. Like I was not a squash eater before. Uh, my wife makes it now, and and I don't complain. It was a fun. That was a super night. We're always trying to do stuff like that. That's kind of weird. Yeah, kind of creative. Yeah, <laughs> I like. I always called Norway Center the squash capital of South Dakota because Coach, my dad, grew. He he doesn't have a garden right now because of the squash beetles. But there was a stretch when he would plant any 
type of squash that he could get his hands on. And so I think he provided most of the squash that we tested that <laughs> night. Man, the, the looks and the texture and all of that was just so different. I yeah. didn't know there was such a variety of squash. That was fun. So um, one of the other things that I think is really interesting about the show is your obsession with small towns. You've written, you know, I think one of those nights you were singing your, uh, oh, you know, Sticks has come sail away and you did come bail some hay about Gayville, South Dakota. You have songs about Murdo. You, mm-hmm. It seems like you're obsessed with these small towns that kind of have funny names. And, yeah. uh Highway to Zell. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, maybe without putting you on the spot where you have to sing a cappella, maybe you could walk through some of these lyrics. I'll tell you what. So there's a, there's a new one we're working on. I'll give you a sneak peek. Okay. We're going to play this one for the first time at the National Music Museum down in Vermilion in April. But Christopher Rattlesnake, our piano player, came across a story about Woolsey High School basketball in, like, I don't know what year. Um, I can't remember. The details are foggy. Um but there was a line in there about how they ran roughshod over whoever they were playing. <laughs> and so, so writing a song about Woolsey running roughshod is going to happen. And then, so that'll be debuted. But that's kind of where the songs come from. It's like, you know, some kind of a, some kind of a hook like that. We wrote one about, um, yeah, come, come bail some hay. That just sort of fell into place. Yeah. So now do you have to list sticks as a co-writer? Uh, parody law is uh, very, you know, you're like going very weird gray. Al. Yeah, like they. But I think Weird Al always asked for permission uh, on all of the performers. Yeah, you we have... do. Yeah, so if it's going to be on the TV show, okay, we get permission. You do, and we pay some money. Yeah. Oh, you got to clear it. They've told me that you don't have to, but, but you're doing this it is public anyway. broadcasting. Yeah. Oh, they they um, check all the boxes. But we, you know, when we when we play it like for the first time on the radio or when we're playing it live at the Copper Room, I'm not as worried about it. Right. Um, but, you know, because we do parodies, but then we also do original stuff, too. Yeah. And so are these, can people download these songs? Are they available? Yeah. Um, I think if you go to rockgardentour.com, there's a few of them. And then we have a SoundCloud, uh, you know, site that, that I think there's a few songs. Like our first big hit, you know, is about Murdo. Oh, and what are the lyrics to that? yippee tippy tie yeah, yippee yeah, yo let's sing a song about Murdo. <laughs> We, our car got stranded in Murdo, and so oh. we wrote a song about it. My favorite line in that one is, um, they got, uh, oh, I can't remember it now, something about, dun, 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 jackalope hooves and real life, pro- real life props from Dances with Wolves. I <laughs> well, like that. Certainly one. got the, uh, the the Automobile Museum there, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So you, but you've made these these towns that some people might laugh at uh, because they have crazy names like Viberg, and you've yeah. made them into something very cool. But you know, it, it, it kind of goes along with what I what we've been saying all along. Just kind of, ce- it feels right to celebrate your place. I mean, it all turns on affection. Like this is what we love. We love being from South Dakota, and to celebrate these things, these quirky little stories that are about this place and only this place. Like that's what we really care about and finding ourselves wanting to be inspired by. Yeah. You know, we don't, we don't, we're not like anybody else. Like we are who we are and allowing that to drive us and push us in a direction and influence the decisions we make and let it shape the kind of business you want to create. Like that's, that's what it's all about. That's special. Um, I am, furiously writing notes here, yeah. jotting down all these nuggets you just gave me there. I think that's exactly right. That's that's why we live here, and uh, you're reminding us yeah. why. It's yeah. special. It feels right to celebrate it. So 
where, you know, one of the other things that you love besides the place that you're from is you love radio and you've worked in it for so many years and radio is at a different place now. But I also think that we're at what people are calling a golden age of audio. So we, we went hardcore into video. People were talking about 3D and augmented reality and holograms. And now everybody's starting to realize the one thing that we don't have is extra time. And so sitting down and watching a video is almost too hard to do. So people are listening to podcasts because they can do other things. Right. Um, so where do you see radio going? Where do you see podcasts going? And where do you fit into it in the future? Um, well, you know, you talk to old radio people and um, they're thinking that there's going to be a day when radio kind of opens up again and small guys are going to be able to buy stations because um, – you know, like when when we were first getting into radio, it was rich investors. Yep. And then – And that's when the consolidation was yeah. really firing up, right? But I mean, I've heard from channels. lots of people that work in radio. They think that maybe there will come a day when, when it's possible for small, you know, smaller investors to get back into radio. And so radio can feel local again. You know, we love radio, so I think there's always going to be a place for it. But it's exciting – you know, podcasting is exciting that, that now the technology makes it so we can do this and yep. we can create our own universe and do great, you know, like storytelling and kind of control what kind of control it and um, get to make it our own. And it's like that idea of making it up. We right. get to make it up. And that's that's really exciting. And I think um, being able to do things like now Rock Garden Tour is a whole radio station. It's always been my dream to have a radio station. Anytime you want to listen to it. Yeah. And now there's tools that you can figure out how to use that you can make a radio station. Like that blows my mind. You know, like when I was just starting, I mean, the amount of equipment you would need yeah. to do that, not to mention a tower. Like there was no, you know, way you were going to start a radio station. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, we're using some pretty nice equipment here, but I think sitting in front of us right now is about $900. Yeah. Right? And uh, and we can get out our message and our content and it lives on and we can control where it goes. And and that's fun. Um, but I also wonder, you know, I heard this idea it was actually on the Joe Rogan show and uh, he was talking. Um, oh, I can't even remember the guy's name off the top. Of my Oh, Sam Harris. And they were talking about the idea that audio might become like in a Netflix type format where instead of selling ads for like MeUndies and uh, Squarespace and all of these advertisers, what'll happen is that a, a brick of, of creators will just be owned by some media company. And for say $10 a month, you get access to them. If you don't have a subscription, you don't get them. I mean, I could see that happening too. I think what's funny about audio to me is that people are lumping everybody into the same category. It's like people who talk about um, how to woodwork on a podcast is not the same as Gimlet Media creating like some huge, heavily produced drama on audio. But yet we somehow just think, oh, that's a podcast. That's a podcast. Yeah, They're right. very different, you yeah. know? So, I mean, I think it's got a future, but I think uh, does that threaten the local radio station or do they just become a part of it? I don't know. I guess I haven't thought about it. I think that what's cool about the way technology has affected it is that people like us can can we can make it up and yeah. we can we can do it. So we can shape it a little bit. Um my expectation has never been like we're not making money on Rock Garden Tour. I think there was always like we you know like I like to be able to pay the band, but I don't have expectations that I will. And and I think when you start to look at it like 
well, what what's the market like? And is there potential to make money? And you start talking that way. Well, I think that maybe changes the conversation. Yeah, correct. And, you know, the way I look at it is that I just want to keep having fun doing it and keep doing it. And so my, I think my, the way I maybe see the future of it is just a little bit different, you know? Just- right. And, and because your entry, your cost of entry now are so low, it allows us to have these hobbies and keep ourselves sane and, and to these side projects that we've always had. And, uh, I don't know. I think that's pretty exciting. You don't mm-hmm. have to be so invested into it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, next projects that we haven't heard coming up from you are what, what's next on the agenda for Ted? Um, well, let me think, you know, <laughs> well, so we're going to do, uh, Ipso Gallery has always got stuff cooking. Yeah. And so we're going to, I can say that we're going to do a show in uh, late summer that's going to be loosely inspired by county fairs, county fair art. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) And so my head's spinning on like, you know, last year, uh, talking about things that Fresh Produce does just for kicks. Last year, our whole crew created works to be shown at the Sioux Empire Fair Art Pavilion. And we like had to put them in categories and compete. Lots of blue ribbons, some red ribbons, a couple white ribbons, (laughs) but you know, like everybody competed. And so, we're all going to figure out ways to, you know, take that experience, but into Ipso Gallery. And so I like to part. I'm not a visual artist, but I like to participate in things like that. So I've been coming up with some, there's some things I need to learn from my project, you know, so that's one thing. Rock Garden Tour, though, there's always stuff cooking for Rock Garden Tour. Um, We're going to play a show. We're playing some live shows, you know, this summer, but we're always thinking about the next TV show. Like we love doing TV shows. We, we just started last year, putting on shows at the new uh, studio in Sioux Falls, the new public broadcasting studio oh, yeah. in Sioux Falls. And Brad Van Osdell and his crew, they help us put those on. So and they have so, a performing center in there yep. too? And so it's just like you know what we used to do at Latitude, but it's in their studio, yeah. which makes it way more it's fun for us. Yeah. It sounds better, and it's it's just easier to produce like live audio in there. Um, but So that's going to kind of become a TV show eventually, we're thinking. Like we're not sure what's yeah. going to happen with that, but – we're tinkering with it. We're kind of trying to figure out what to do with it. Maybe a Netflix deal. Yeah, yeah. Like so, we're we're trying that, and that's fun. We always like to try some new things, and we always have. You know, there's now. I always call it like the the little weird rock garden tour family. There's people that I feel like kind of have ownership of the show because it's now not just it's not just me anymore, and that's it's fun because of it. Uh, but there's people they they bring us ideas. Like, what if we tried this? You know, and so. There's a few things like that in the works. So if people want to interact with you, how can they do that? If they want to check out Ipso Gallery, where is that located? Ipso is 6th and Main in downtown Sioux Falls. Um, we're open weekdays, 8 to 5, but we are having, you know, we have five shows a year. And so um, you can get on the mailing list if you go to pickfresh.com and and uh punch on Ipso Gallery and you'll be able to get your name on the waiting list so you'll be able to be updated of when our upcoming shows are. And, you know, our shows are kind of in between, like, art... Pro- you know, we do some shows. Like, tonight we have a show called Manual Tronic and it's two artists that are um, showing works that you can manipulate with your... You can actually touch them and move them and manipulate them and it's pretty fun. Um, uh, so we do shows like that, which 
is kind of you could look at that as more like a traditional art show. I mean, you can touch the art, which is not traditional, but it's you know two artists showing in our space. Yeah, it's kind of an installation, but it's still you know it's. A, it, but then we also do shows like I'm talking about with this this county fair inspired show, which will be a lot different than a typical art experience. And so, um, you know, if you want to get invite, if you want to get invites to those shows, you can get on the mailing list and kind of find out about what what we have coming up next. Um, so that's yeah, that's Ipso Gallery, and then for Rock Garden Tour stuff, RockGardenTour.com is our website, and you can find, um, you know, we're at Rock Garden Tour on all the different mediums. Social. That's, that's how you can find us at Rock Garden Tour. Well, Ted Heron, it's been really interesting today. I love the nuggets about loving where you're from, and uh, I can't wait to to get this episode out because I think other people are also going to share that love too. So thanks Thank for you. coming in today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to The Lanyard today. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe on whatever podcast platform you like to listen to, or we're online at anchor.fm slash The Lanyard. 